Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Did you know that you can get beer that tastes like fucking peaches? Yeah. We're drinking it right now. <laughs> Coming to you almost live from the Next Act Pub, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your slightly inebriated hosts. It's true. Nice. And the reason that we are slightly inebriated is not just because of the bar that we're in, which is fabulous and wonderful, in which we uh, come to at least once a week. As, well, I come to at least once a, a week. As a studio. As yes. a studio. But the, but the other reason is because we have Salish Haas joining us on the show today, and Salish is one of three owners of The Next Act. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great, thanks. Are you Are you nervous? You seem uh, nervous. I'm a little less nervous than I thought I'd be, so I feel like I'm on the up and up. Are well, you on the plus side, you're only almost live, so right. people won't be judging you until later. Oh, perfect, yeah. There you go. It'll be a delayed <laughs> reaction. <laughs> yeah, and we can, we can, you know, if you bribe us with uh, stuff... Beer. Take out the, the <laughs> things that are horrible, the horrible, horrible things. Yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, we wanted to have you on the show for a couple reasons. One is because we are both huge fans of yours. We know. I think it's, we, we I think it's fair to say. <laughs> um, and uh, also because you're venturing, you're taking it to the streets. We are, yeah. You're literally taking it to the streets with a food truck. Yeah. And I've when, seen the food truck. I've seen it parked nearby. Is that right? Secretly. It's in a secret spot that everyone can see, so it's not really a secret. <laughs> Hiding right in plain sight. I pointed it out to Anita, and uh, his, his fiance, my yes. wife. Oh, I mean, it's like we're back in time. Yes, you, you were might want to cut wedding. that one out. I, yeah, you might want to edit. No, that's staying in. The embarrassment uh, is palpable. But I pointed the truck out to her the other night, and she couldn't see it amidst all of the other vehicles and the darkness. So it was it was indeed hiding in plain sight. And it has a cloaking device, that probably. Too. Has a witch device? A cloaking device, something that'll make it invisible. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. You yeah, have to. Cloaking, you, I mean. Sure. Uh, because if there's one thing you want to advertise your business with, it's an invisible truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come so, find us. Oh, wait, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation has gotten off to a bizarre start. Well, let's talk about this allegedly invisible truck and why you decided to take the, uh, the, the pub concept, such as it is, out into the streets of Edmonton. What, what brought this on? Well, we have a pub. We sell food. I got obsessed with Eat Street. It kind of went from there. Ah. <laughs> if I, too, uh, have been known to watch Eat Street. So, so uh, off of the Food Network, it's actually a TV show series that features different food trucks all across North America. They usually do three to four trucks per episode, and they're generally featuring gourmet food on the streets, like just not hot dogs or hamburgers anymore. Just right. I mean, or there are hot dogs and hamburgers, but, but they're, they're much awesome better. But they're awesome hot dogs yeah. and hamburgers. Gourmet. As so you I said. thought we could do this. And and it's I think it's fair to say as a as a connoisseur of the menu here at the Next Act that you guys are a step above regular pub food. We like to hope so. Yeah. So what is going to be on the menu for the Next Act food truck? And is it actually called the Next Act food truck? No, it's actually called the Act. Okay. Out and about. The Act out and about. I yeah. like that. I like that. So it'll still be linked with our same website. Still the same food as the pub, actually. We're not. It's going to keep it simple. We'll rotate our menu from the truck, but it'll be a rotation of the items that we are uh, capable of cooking on right. the truck from here. So in a way, the truck also then acts uh, as a means of promoting the pub. That's if you right. like the food here, 
be sure to go and check out the full-sized version. Yeah, that was the idea. We wanted to brand a bit more the pub. We feel like we've done a pretty good job since we took over a year and a half ago, and uh, we wanted to keep co-branding the pub with the truck. So okay. that was the easiest transition for us. And was it, when you say easiest, step us through what is involved in obtaining a truck and outfitting a truck because this thing didn't just come from a scrapyard in Edmonton. You had to get it from somewhere in what, central Canada? Uh, we bought it uh, from a company called Pizza Trucks of Canada which are based out of, uh, just outside of Winnipeg. Oh, okay. And and you, how, do you, how did you deal with them? Did you have to send them schematics? Did you have to sort of not negotiate but figure out what was actually possible inside the truck? Uh, yeah, we had a bunch of options as opposed to sizing of the truck and then once you pick your size then you pick your equipment. So okay. you're somewhat limited depending on the size of truck that you choose with them. So they have all different options whether you want a small little t uh, truck pulled trailer or if you want a medium sized truck or if you want a really really large trailer. Um, it's really up to you whatever you decide and for us um, one of our biggest uh, I guess decisions to be made was whether you could park it at a city meter. And that is what we chose. Is an absolute yes. Yes. Right. So, so we chose a truck the size that would fit between some city meters. But not all? Well, no, the, you'd be surprised. They're all different sizes. Is that right? Yeah. I, I can attest to that fact based on my own adventures in downtown parking. But we spent a lot of time with tape measures measuring different meters. So you were the crazy meter measuring people. That's right. <laughs> My goodness, and why isn't that standardized? It would make your life a hell of a lot easier. I guess it just comes down to uh, maximizing parking spaces. So some of them might be 18 feet and some are like 25 feet. Holy shit. Well, in a car-centric town, I guess the bigger the better. Right. So uh, so you place an order for a truck. Do you kind of buy it sight unseen or did you have to go out there and... We bought it sight unseen. They picked one for us. What they do actually is they find um, older trucks from uh, companies down in the States where yeah. they don't have much weather wear and tear the same way in Canada. Canadian trucks um, are not, uh, they don't hold up quite as well. So sure. they get them from the States where whether it be like a old FedEx truck, a UPS truck, a linen truck, and then they are gutted, sold, and we bring them across the border back up to Canada. Now, do you know what the act out and about truck was in its previous incarnation? No, they didn't tell us. It was oh, a white-painted mystery. mystery truck. Really? Mystery so it has truck. its own ghosts and history, which we don't know what it is. We should invent it right now. What do you want it to be? I think it was a linen truck for prison linens. Okay. There you go. Probably. So, but you're not going to serve prison food <laughs> because no. that would be gross. <laughs> <laughs> so was it, was it kind of scary deciding to do this, to invest the money and to purchase an asset that I would assume isn't cheap without having really seen it? Uh, it was somewhat challenging, but I think the company we worked with, it's a husband and wife, Steve and Sandy. Uh, they are the coolest people that they were so uh, accommodating. They were easy to communicate with. Um, Drift Food Truck is the ones who referred them to us. So oh, yeah. if you're familiar with Drift. I love their sandwiches. Just south of Jasper Avenue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, they uh, bought theirs from them, and so they came highly recommended by Kevin and or Nevin and Kara. I could see how you'd get that confused. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so did uh, um, the the pizza truck people were Sandy and Steve. S Sandy and Steve. Did they send you pictures of the truck as it gets outfitted? So you got to sort of yeah, live they the did. Process? So we got about every uh, week or so in a different stage. So they gave it to us completely empty. Then they sent it to us once they started outfitting the in inside. Um, and then we got it when it was just base painted, and then we got it back when it was completely done. And yeah, we it surprisingly enough, it turned out 
as well, if not better, than we'd hoped for, which that, is great. That's excellent. That is so It would have cool. been crummy if it had turned out worse than you I know, but sometimes when you design something or picture something, you never really know, right? Like if it's, it's feasible. It doesn't right. quite live up to, to the, the expectation in your that head. you built up in your head. Yeah. Right? Sure. So when does the act out and about hit the streets? Uh, the week of May Long Weekend, the oh. right after May Long Weekend, so Th two weeks. That's exciting. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. And so what kind of planning goes into deploying uh, a truck? I mean, it sounds like you just drive it, park it, and cook some shit. Yeah, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, so so what's the <laughs> process dealing with the city? Uh, you know what, considering that food trucks are new, it's a new culture for this town, um, the city is trying to be as accommodating and somewhat receptive to changing the processes that they already have in place. Um, they're trying to be a bit more flexible and a bit more accommodating in regards to parking, in regards to um, festivals, uh, which are a little bit more privatized. You're dealing more with the festival than the city, but you still need permits for each. Um, and the city, in regards to the... you. Before it was like they only gave you options of spots you could go, right? And then you would pick one and apply for it. Now you submit to them where you'd like to be, and they'll look at it, try and improve it, and hopefully accept you. So you could conceivably dream up a location that just seems like the best one that no one else has ever thought of, right? And the city will decide if that's acceptable. If it's on city property at a meter, yeah. That's uh, I, that's pretty surprising, actually. Yeah. So they're um, they have a new vending coordinator in the position just as of this year, which is great as well because I think she's a little um, she's quite eager to get the sort of culture growing, and she wants to be a part of it and see us be successful, which I think is really great. And I think now with a small amount of trucks over the next couple of years, I think you'll see quite a few more. Yeah, it sounds like. I it. hope so, at least. Yeah, I that's mean, the it's idea. Now, what about the fear that uh, that I've heard from this city a little bit and from other cities that you're stealing business from companies or restaurants around you that can't pick up and move there? Right. You know, what is that all about? It doesn't seem hardly like an argument. It's different. I mean, people, if they want to sit down and be in a restaurant, they'll go and sit and get the experience in a restaurant. If they want to go and stand outside of a truck and wait for their burger to be made and walk down the street with it in their hand, they'll do that. I, I agree that the, I believe that there's enough space for everyone. It just is a matter of what the food is. And I ultimately think that it's may the best chef win. Ooh, and that is the beauty of capitalism. That is indeed the beauty of capitalism. Now, are you guys uh, going to be out on the street every day? Or are you going to be uh, out only just a couple days a week? We're going to try to do every Monday through Friday. Just we won't always be at the same spot. The majority of ours will be at a location downtown lunches, but we're also going to rotate to. Um, the, we're trying to get as many trucks as we can for Thursday lunches at Churchill Square. So that in itself is another permit, another application process. But um, there's already a couple down there um, on Thursdays at lunch. So we hope to join the fleet. That's great. And and now I know that that Mac Mail and Sharon Yo have done a lot of work with their uh, what the with truck what the truck yeah project, which has been great. Yeah. Uh, for for food truck culture in the city, do they have anything to do with what's going on in Churchill Square, or is that something that the that the food truck vendors in the city are building together? Uh, I think we have to go to, but they've been really good about talking with everybody. I mean, they have their hands in a lot of different jars, and they've done a really good job of um, helping us out, sending us in the right direction, um, talking, telling us who we should be talking to in regards to that, even though I know it's not, I mean, that's not their full-time job, but they've taken it upon themselves, and they've done a good job of building a um, sort of, I guess, a little Food excitement. truck community? Yeah, right. So we, they've started with, we, there's about three or four What the Trucks, which is going to be a relatively big festival plan for this year. Um, at different locations, I believe, is the plan. And then they're also doing um, five small truck stops all from Red Cross Street. Right, that's yeah. right. In so the last the, yeah. 
first one was Gazebo Park. Yeah, yes. on Thursday. And did you happen to go to that? Not. Well, I walked there in the sheet of rain that pelted me as oh, I was getting no. there, but I was. It was late. not great weather for it. Unfortunately. No, and you know what? They still did surprisingly well, considering, which yeah. is just an, another example of how much people are into this culture. I mean, it was sideways winds. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I go to the next act on Thursdays. So on my way to the next act, I walked by smelling the delicious fat franks. Oh. And thinking uh, you'd rather have pulled pork nachos when you And then here. sat down and had some pulled pork nachos <laughs> in the next act. That's so. fair. That's totally I, Actually, I have a friend who lives uh, across the street from uh, Gazebo Park. Um, and he also comes down to the next act every Thursday. Would love to go to the food truck festival, but can't resolve the two in his brain. So he's actually really disappointed that it's on Thursday evening. It's a real... Twisted mind game there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what are you I mean, going to do? You don't the next act is going to win every time, well, here's which the is thing. a compliment to In you. In three so. weeks, he'll be able to possibly find us there. So then you get both best of both. Yeah. Now, now I have to know, because I work downtown, uh, where you're planning to be downtown? We have two locations we've applied for. It's just a matter of whether they'll have us. Okay. So, Are you ready to reveal that or not yet? Not yet. That's fair. That is totally a secret. Fair. We're it's not getting the central. unknown studio How about exclusive. I'll give you a wink? I am <laughs> on 109th Street just north of Jasper Avenue. Okay. It's a little farther than where we'll be, but I, I know you'll make the trip. If I if I can walk down to V Sandwiches on Rice Howard Way. Okay. We'll be somewhere in between. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> this there is, you go. This is a great success for all involved. Now, you can't serve uh, booze. Not yet. And we're so sad about it. Isn't that horrible? But what do you mean not yet? Well, maybe there's uh, room for Edmonton to expand its abilities of that's free drinking. That's something we need to uh, apparently discuss with City Hall. Come on, you guys. This We're talking about the city who <laughs> nearly shut down the Elements Music Festival. <laughs> that's true. Are we really going to be allowed to drink no. a problem? No, we're not. We won't. Maybe we'll get some cool non-alcoholic beers, so you'll feel <laughs> like you're drinking a beer. Here, this now, is a with with the ability to go mobile, would you be able to uh, take part in some other festivals like Taste of Edmonton and such? Yeah, we've applied a for easier? quite a few, actually, so it's just a matter of whether they'll take us. And can you tell us maybe a few? We tried Taste of Edmonton, so we did our tasting this last Thursday. Um, oh, you have to so there's a whole thing yeah. involved with that. So tell, tell us about that. So the Taste of Edmonton has uh, ventured into a new segment this year, which is, um, I, I don't even know what they've called it. There was like a competition as to what they were going to call it. And I think it's Curb Your Hunger. So they're going to have food trucks added this year. It's brilliant. Uh, I think it's great. They've done, um, this is the biggest transformation that um, Taste of Edmonton's had in a fair number of years They with... Um, more menu changes than they've ever had because over the past few me- years you've seen a lot of the same uh, yeah and things that's fair that's enough. a fair criticism yeah right. it's, it's why I've stopped going actually. myself as well yeah so I'm excited that there's this many more food options um, don't they'll never take the green onion cakes which we're all happy about as Edmontonians we thrive on green onion cakes yeah it's like fuel um, for the winter <laughs> it's fuel for fringe goers that's too right. yeah yeah so it works you up into fringe mode and then uh, <laughs> anyway so they like those types of staples will stay but they've done a big change over with a, a bunch of new uh, vendors as well as new food items which I think is great so we submitted ours they taste them all they look at them they tell us if they'll have us we got denied one because someone else had clout than, more clout than we did fuck those people right yeah yeah I'm saying it <laughs> I don't know who they are but I'll find them well and they don't even they don't even sell this item at their location isn't that what it's supposed to be though yeah. is a showcase of what uh, you well sell, give of or what take. you sell or, or 
Or is it also is it, what you're capable of? Is it a pulled pork sandwich? Yes. I figured as much. Because I've seen pulled pork sandwiches So we don't get up. to do our delicious pulled pork sandwich. Which you do exceedingly well, by Thanks. the way. Yeah. I think so, too. But yeah. unfortunately, someone else does it better, maybe. Or they just have been around longer. Or they know, okay. they know the right people. You'll be, you're, you're becoming influential. We're pretty excited about our other items, so it'll be fine. So we put, put a submission in. We'll wait to hear back, and hopefully they'll say they approve two of them. Wow. Yeah. That's very exciting. So this year, you'll have different options on um, one side street that'll be a little bit different than the rest of the vendors in the square, which I think will be even more fun. So for you guys, will it actually be out of the truck, or will you create a booth? No, we, we you, said they wanted us to do a booth. They said, why don't you come as the next act? We said, well, we have a working kitchen. Like, Why don't we just do the truck? So this true. is sort of where this started to come from, was the idea that they were going to allow trucks in the festival this year, which I think is good. And there are a number of other restaurants who would probably absolutely take advantage of that because yeah. they also have food trucks. And yeah. they've also been kind of flexible with us, which has been neat to allow us to pick the days that we'd like to submit so we don't necessarily have to be there for the whole festival if it doesn't work for us. Hmm. Food trucks, you mean you, you catch us when you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can just drive away if you're having a shitty day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Now, before you worked here yes. doing your thing, you did something that had nothing to do with restaurants. That's right. I know nothing about restaurants. Uh, and you've <laughs> Except been at eating this at them a lot. <laughs> and you've been at this for over a year. Right? Yep. Um, so where did you come from? Uh, let's start there. Where did you come from? I came from being a regional manager of a company called Urban Barn, which is home furnishings and accessories. Um, it's a Canadian-based company out of Vancouver, and I've been working in Alberta with them for since I was 18. Okay. So what inspired you to move from selling home furnishings to owning a restaurant? <laughs> Fortunately for me, I have two very good business partners who are very much involved in restaurant and have been. So I'm used to the people side of things, just not the serving the food side of things. Okay. And, so, and with the exception of eating the food yeah. side of things. Yeah. So, okay. Which I do well. Uh, I've seen I haven't it. bought groceries in six months. You don't have to. You <laughs> own a pub. Yeah. Uh, and your two partners, what are their names again? So I have Nathan McLaughlin, who's our Red Seal chef. Oh, um, he's great. And then uh, we also have Michael Rabalkin, who comes from the Joey's Earl's background. And is that where, is that how you guys got together? Or did you know each other from like some nefarious we all, uh, Mike and Nathan have known each other since kindergarten. Oh, okay. And I came along in high school. So the three of us went to high school together. I got them jobs way back in the day as dishwashers at Earl's. <laughs> no way. Because <laughs> on campus, I think I was 15, and they were 16. And they were, I got them doing dishes in there, and then uh, Mike just never left the company. <laughs> Bounced back between Earl's and Joey's for um, close to 14, 15 years. And, and you guys kept in touch this whole time? We did, yeah. He moved to Vancouver and Seattle and was running Joey's out there. Wow. And we just stayed in touch, and then one day we all just decided to toss in the towel. No, no, it doesn't just happen like it that. It did, over a bucket of beers in Mexico. <laughs> and why did you uh, decide to purchase the Next Act? Which has been a kind of an institution in this theater district for some time. Uh, we had a bit of an in. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So we word on the street was it was going to be coming available possibly so we approached the um, previous owner and just talked to them about it and decided to they agreed we said we'd buy it and wow. away we came so uh, Nathan quit his fancy job which was based down of um, he was cooking up north and managing huge uh, oil rig camps oh, okay managing and doing the cooking for them yeah. wow 
like huge, huge camps out there cooking. And then um, Mike was in Vancouver at the time running a Joey's. And so we all went to Mexico in March of 2010, I guess, and said, let's quit our jobs. Not even knowing that we would for sure get the business. And how terrifying was that? Because it, for me, thinking about doing something like that seems, particularly with hospitality, incredibly high risk. Huge. Uh, I've been watching some Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares <laughs> off of Netflix. Here we go. And well, no, I, I, Nita and I recently invested in Netflix, and the original British Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares is on there. And he mentions a couple times that in the first year of business, new restaurants fail two-thirds of the time. Is that right? So, so 66% of new restaurants are out of business after the first year. Obviously, you guys are still here. And I would consider the overhaul of the next act basically be a new restaurant. Like yeah. It's, oh, it's I would completely agree. different I than would it agree. was originally. I mean, aside so, from the bar layout, it's not the same place. So it must. It, I would agree that it must have been a fairly terrifying prospect to kind of gamble on a new restaurant business. And did you know going in that, that the next act was such an integral part of the sort of after-theater crowds? We did, and we were terrified. Why were you terrified? Because we thought they are going to hate us. Really? <laughs> this is their institution. It's their cheers of Edmonton. There's this community of people that absolutely love this place. So we talked a lot about how much we wanted to rebrand. First and foremost, the biggest thing was changing the menu. That was important to have a, a chef And the old Next Act had a standard kind of pub, pub grub it, fare, it, yeah. it was nothing that would knock your socks off, but it'd no. fill you up. That's right. for sure. Right, yeah. sure. And we look at ourselves as a food-first pub, whereas a lot of other pubs are a beer-first kind of pub. And the food comes secondary. So we put everything into the menu. We trusted 100% of that to Nathan. Um, we let him choose whatever he wanted to do, and he came up with what he's. you guys have enjoyed over the last year and a half. Yeah, he's done very well, I have to say. And, um, and then other than that, we talked about maybe changing the name. We talked about whether we wanted to do a complete over-renovation. And as you noticed, you came in, and it was different, but it was still sort of had some of the same character. Namely, the furniture that we're sitting at right now, the bar. Yeah, that's true. Um, the overall setup of the room is the same. Is Some of the artwork just migrated a little bit toward the back. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's still here, so you remember it, but it's not quite as... Um, I guess we just wanted to clean it up, have a good menu, have good service, and have good staff. And that was kind of a simple formula for us. And not have carpets anymore. Right. Because that was gross and weird. <laughs> it was weird. And, you know, I can honestly tell you for about two days we debated replacing the carpet with more carpet. What? What were we thinking? We Seriously. laugh about it all the time. Yeah, we're like, well... You know, it's pretty gross, but they've had it in there. Maybe it just needs a new carpet. What are we going to do? What's <laughs> underneath it? Like, this was... And then on D-Day, like, just before, about four days before we opened, we decided to go and buy flooring and have it installed. You made the right choice. Thank you. <laughs> so did you guys wind up doing a lot of the renos yourselves? We did it all. Holy Everything. shit. That seems crazy to me. I we can't even be bothered to paint my, like, house. Yeah. We had so. a very, very good army of help of friends that were amazing and uh, we, for us we fortunately have a friend in every kind of trade which <laughs> is We're willing out. to work for beer I presume. Yeah. It was, uh, that was about all we had to offer at the time. <laughs> and it was the old beer that they were selling that we decided not to keep on the menu. <laughs> oh my god. Here's some old beer guys. Work your brains out. Get rid of it. Yeah. Now is the bar the same top? Yep. Is it? We just cleaned it. Was it really dirty? 
Uh, I, I, I don't remember it ever no, gleaming white. No, I just don't white. think you would have noticed it yeah. because everything else in here was quite busy. We tried to just simplify the room a bit Not more. just busy, but dark. Yeah. Like one of the first things that uh, I know myself and several of my regular friends uh, who come here uh, noticed the first time we came back in after you reopened it's so was bright. that it was brighter <laughs> in here. It was it was blindingly bright compared to how like dark and oppressive it used to be. It's something we never even really noticed until you painted the roof white and suddenly it's like, oh. And you know, a lot wow. of people hated it. And that's what it made me. We were so terrified that people were going to be upset about the changes that we made that we did try to do it quite subtly. And then we thought, well, okay, maybe later on we'll make more of a changes. And as time went on, we're like, it's working. Why do we need to change it? Yeah. So for us, we just wanted to clean it. We freshened up, like you say, the walls was the biggest thing. And people walked in and they'd say, it's so bright. Or, oh, what? <laughs> Why is it so bright in here? <laughs> <laughs> it's and then we got a lot of it's really fresh and it feels really clean and that was something we were really it's proud of. It's more inviting. You know what though? Think about like uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to reference a, an audience that is always very fickle and yet loyal at the same time. Anytime Facebook changes something, people get really pissed they about do. it and they say they're going to leave and they never do and they get used to it and oh by the way, you know the news feed? that we all know and love from Facebook. That was one of the major features they introduced that started large-scale petitions where people were going to leave. And guess what? They didn't. Right. Because it's the most useful thing in the world. Well, and you can adapt. Exactly. And light in a pub, though a lot of people say they like the dark and the seedy, it's also nice to be able to see who's sitting across from you. <laughs> so... It was an obvious uh, choice that people just needed to ease into. Well, and uh, one thing we decided to change the most was that we were adamant to get brunch, Saturday, Sunday brunch. And we also wanted to have a lunch day business, which the business hadn't had for a fair number of years. So in order for us to do that, we felt the only way we're going to get people to want to come here for brunch, whether it be with their kids, which you can do up until 4 o'clock with us. Oh, okay. We changed our license so that um, it's a bit more family-friendly during the day. And are you uh, are you seeing children in here at all? We or? do, yeah, a lot on Saturday and Sundays. Cool. Cute. And it's a, I mean, brunch is a big family thing. Totally. I am ashamed to admit that I have never had a next act brunch it's it's because I rarely have. You will love the pulled pork Sunday milk. That's what I always pulled get. Pulled pork milk. It's yeah. so good. Yes, tens of listeners, it's Story Slam time once again. For those of you new to the podcast, Adam and I are very big supporters of the Edmonton Story Slam, which goes once a month at the Haven Social Club. During the event, readers come up and are given five minutes to tell a story. Each story is then judged by random audience members with points deducted for going over the time limit, and the highest rated story wins money from a hat that's passed around the room. After all is said and done, we feature a few of the stories here on The Unknown Studio. Our first tale comes to us from John Johnston. So I was five months into my uh, education in film school, and things weren't going according to plan. You see, I, when I first went there, I used to be an, a shy, introverted uh, English student, but I knew I needed to change things up. I wanted to be a big, sexy film student and go out there and meet new people and really take over the world. Unfortunately, as I said, things didn't go, go according to plan. I found myself every Friday night in my room, drinking orange tang, eating gummy bears, playing video games, and trying to ignore my roommate having loud sex with his girlfriend. And then one night, things got worse because I heard, well, of course, my roommate, his girlfriend, and then her friend. And it dawned on me very slowly that this average-looking, seemingly mild-mannered man 
was getting far more sex than me, and I felt very <laughs> ashamed. And I couldn't help but think, you know, what, what does he have that I don't? And then it dawned on me as well that, you know, if they time themselves and pace themselves correctly and ta tag each other in or out, they could have sandwiches. One could have a sandwich, take a break, catch a breather, come back in. This could go on for hours. I knew I needed to head out. I needed to actually go out there and do what I wanted to do, change myself, be that person I wanted to be, and you know, go out there and have a lifestyle that would give me the nickname that people would start calling me the Duke, or something like that. Like people would just like, I'd be a legendary. And so I looked, I went out, got up, put on a thick lacquer of uh, cologne, and then went to the campus bar. Now I had, at that point in time, the uh, sexual intelligence of a 14-year-old boy. But I knew a few things. One, don't talk about D&D in front of girls. They don't like that. Two, um, always make sure you can dance as best you can. If you can, just do the guns. <laughs> and three, beer has something to do with the sex life. So I went to the bar. I went to the, uh, the bar and ordered a uh, team schooner, which for those of you who aren't aware, a team schooner is basically a large bucket of alcohol. And I swear it must have been like three or four quarts. And I looked around the bar and found a table with enough pretty girls. And I was like, that's my target. I'm going for it. <laughs> I came in, I was, pretty, I was rather timid at the time, and I came up and I was like, can I sit here? You can have some drinks. Surprisingly, they let me sit there. <laughs> and I was like, yes! <laughs> I felt like the Duke. I was like, this is how you do it. You sit down there, I gave them drinks, I had a few drinks, one drink turned to two, two turned to three, three turned to like, probably about 12. And I was, also, I was talking, and they were listening, and they were laughing, and I was funny, and all these great things were happening. I was like, yes! I'm the Duke, I'm the Duke! And, uh... This girl beside me actually reaches over and touches my knee. And if a 14-year-old knows anything, it's that when a girl touches your knee, that means she likes you. So I, I was like, yes, kept on chatting, kept on saying these funny jokes. She kept on laughing. Her hand kept on moving. I was like, yay. And then she said, okay, let's go on a dance floor. And I was like, yeah, let's go on a dance floor. I can do this. Gun show. It didn't go over so well. She pulled me in close and started dancing sensually, dancing closer and closer and grinding up against me, and I was getting very excited. I was like, yes, finally, I've become the Duke that I always wanted to be. This is going to be awesome. And all these thoughts of being the Duke and being awesome and being this big sexual god were quickly quenched when the reality of 12 drinks of alcohol hit my penis, and I just had to go to the washroom so very badly. <laughs> I apologize profusely. I was like, I'm sorry, I, you're really pretty, I really like you. You know, I think she likes me. Um, and then I was like, I have to go to the washroom. I, I run to the washroom. And then things got worse, because I go to the urinal, thinking things are going okay. And then, well, gravity is a cruel bitch. And I started leaning forward. I was like, oh, good. I got this. Still good. Then she hit me this way. I was like, oh, I can do this. I realized the urinal was not an option for me tonight. And I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I really got to pee. I'm like, oh, look behind me. There's still toilets. I'm like, okay, good. I consider myself a feminist. I can pee sitting down. <laughs> so I go to the washroom. I, I sit in the toilet, pull down my pants, sit down, and let her rip. Now, as any 14-year-old will tell you, certain things happen <laughs> to you when you get aroused. And as any physics teacher will tell you, the trajectory of a liquid in flight depends on how it flies out. <laughs> And me lay a rip, just going, my urine went over the bowl and onto my pants around my ankles. I didn't feel this until my socks got wet. <laughs> All the Duke ideas were out of my mind. I was like, oh my God, no. 
cr- I tried my best to avoid it, but it was too late. My pants were soaked. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What will MacGyver do? I thought of a plan. So I took my pants off and went to the sink and started dousing my pants in the water. So I soaked evenly through and through, and nobody would be the wiser. Another man walked into the washroom, and there was a long pause. He left the washroom. He didn't have to go that bad. So I put on these thick, wet pants. And I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to be able to dance there again. I think it's just time to run away, be good, be cool, just sneak away. So I make it outside, squish, squish, squish. See the girl, she's walking towards me, like, oh, hi, bye. And I go out the back door of the bar. I should note that it was January. And it was about a two-kilometer walk back to my <laughs> where I was living. And I got home that night, I had frostbite, where no man should ever get frostbite. But the one silver lining is that when my roommate tried to have threesome sex in the shower, my pants ruined his day. So that is why I'm not called the Duke. Thank you. Now, normally at this point, we'd feature the winning story. This month, some technical difficulties made it impossible to share the winning story, but we'll totally give it a shout-out. The winner was Trevor Churlene with his story, Star Wars and Cigars, and all we can do is assure you that it was awesome, because it was. So, because we can't share Trevor's tale with you, we'll give you the first runner-up in his place. Here's the second-place story by Matt Scherzaniski. Thank you. Um, So... In my Catholic days, I'm post-Catholic now, but in my Catholic days, I used to teach part-time at a school that was a religious school. And part of our program was to, once a month, take the elementary school children to church and to mass. And so this one time, uh, the entire school, of course, went, and it was an important Catholic celebration. So. We took all the children there, and uh, of course I had to sit with them as their instructor. And there were parents, of course, who had been invited to this event. Um, There were a lot of nuns, and there were a number of different priests, and I believe even the bishop was there just to, you know, sort of support the community of of the school. And so what happened was uh, there were all these conservative Catholic people in that building, and they were all listening to the sermon. And the sermon began by proclaiming all the evils that have been occurring in the world recently, things such as feminism, uh, things such as the New Age movement, and uh, the environmental movement, and uh, the human rights movements, and so forth, and gay marriage, and all these topics that are, of course, evil according to the Catholic Church. So, what I did is, I'm a very liberal man, and I was sitting and listening to this sermon, and I had had enough. So, in my backpack, luckily, I had a newspaper whose front cover featured a story about prostitutes wanting rights in Canada. And so I pulled out that newspaper, and I held it in front of me in such a way that the priest who was delivering the sermon could clearly read the large font and see what my story was about. And let me assure you, he could not go on very well, very fluently, with his sermon from that point forward. And of course, I was grinning and 
nobody else really knew what was going on because they were not close enough to me to see what I had in my hands. However, they could see the priest maybe had drunk something funny or smoked something funny, and suddenly it was taking effect on him. But that was not the case, as we know. So, there was one parent, however, who happened to walk by in front of the pew in which I was sitting, which was near the front, and had seen that I had this newspaper held up facing the priest with that particular story. And so, of course, word spread and uh, gossip spread. And after the mass was over, I tried, I knew what I had done. I tried to sneak out the door very quickly and <laughs> not be seen and uh, perhaps avoid any conflict. However, I was apprehended by <laughs> the principal of the school. And she came to me along with a number of nuns who, behind uh, whom were a number of parents and a number of the uh, older students as well. And the principal um, who came to me said, you have insulted the Catholic Church, you have insulted the priest, you have insulted the bishop, the archbishop, the nuns, the Holy Trinity, the Holy Family, the angels, the archangels, <laughs> the saviors, the philanthropists, the altruists, the saints, uh, the philosophers of our church. In other words, I had insulted the entire Catholic organization, uh, the entire hi hierarchy. And so, um, you know, after that, I, I said, I, I felt, you know, what can I say? What can I possibly do to defend myself? Fortunately, I had been hired at the university a few days prior. And in my backpack, I had the contract, and I pulled it out of my backpack, and I sort of flashed it before all these people, and I said, you guys uh, can kiss my ass goodbye, <laughs> because I'm out of here. I'm going to work for a real salary now at a real educational institution. And so that was how I happened to not be fired. I quit two minutes before I was fired. <laughs> And I have been happily working at a secular and liberal institution ever since. So, thank you. Now imagine Matt's story, but just a little bit better, and that's what Trevor's story was like. Edmonton Story Slam happens every third Wednesday at the Haven Social Club. That's 15120 Stony Plain Road Northwest. Everyone is welcome to come out and listen to the readers or to read a story all your own. Maybe we'll see you there on May 16th. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at guru digitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. Ask anyone in Edmonton if they recognize the name Mark Twitchell. If they say no, it's guaranteed the name will at least make them feel vaguely uncomfortable due to its infamy. In October 2008, Mark Twitchell was arrested for the murder of Johnny Altinger, 
The case was reminiscent of something out of the show Dexter, a murder played out almost exactly like a movie script. It captured the attention of national and international media. One of those international media members was former Edmontonian Steve Lillibuen. Steve has worked as a reporter at the Edmonton Journal. He was managing editor of Metro Edmonton, and most recently has been a reporter for the Herald Sun in Melbourne, Australia. The Mark Twitchell story captured Steve's attention, so much so that he decided to write a book about it called The Devil's Cinema. I recently spoke with Steve over the phone about his experiences researching and writing The Devil's Cinema. Hello? Hi, is this Steve? It is Steve, yeah. Hey, it's Adam calling. So, um... Steve, you've been writing uh, as a journalist for a number of years now. What made you want to get into writing a novel like The the Devil's Cinema? Um, well, I guess like I, I'd always wanted to write something a bit longer than just, you know, typical news stories or, uh, you know, a weekend feature or something like that. And uh, I guess when the Mark Twitchell case happened, um, I was working on the, the crime beat in the city. And uh, I remember I just sort of had the dust settled after sort of the initial news coverage, um, there was sort of this unanswered question, and that was, uh, why did this all happen? And I remember I kept, you know, phoning his friends or people who knew him, and there was, everyone kept saying that there was no warning signs. And, you know, that really surprised me, because, you know, most of the crime that I had covered was, you know, these were repeat offenders or, uh, you know, people living high-risk lifestyles. There was always something there that... Um, was, you know, could be some kind of explanation as far as how they got involved in criminal activity. But, um, you know, this guy just seemed to be just a, a regular guy with, uh, you know, was fascinated with Star Wars and had a film career on the go. And then just sort of out of the blue, without anyone noticing, he became a wannabe serial killer. So that just astonished me. And I wanted to find out, I guess, the psychology of, of how a mind like that worked and, and how he made that transformation. And when you st- when you were talking to his friends, um, was it illuminating? Did it really sort of paint the picture of Mark Twitchell, the the prospective serial killer, or did it just create more mystique? Um, I think in some ways it answered questions, and in others it it is, as you said, it was I guess more mystique because um, you know they certainly didn't see any. Uh, you know, signs that he was uh, had a violent tendency or had a dark side. I mean, he was always very funny, very, um, you know, kind of an outrageous, you know, oddball. He was um, kind of a goofy guy and, you know, got along great with his friends. And, um, you know, they, they definitely didn't have, um, I guess they couldn't see how they could shed light on what had all happened. But one thing I really noticed is that, um, you know, this case, the murder case was so much about how, you know, reality and fantasy had combined, especially within Mark Twitchell and sort of this movie script becoming replicated in real life. Um, And then if you trace his life back, a lot of what his friends could shed light on is just how much he did love fantasy. And, uh, you know, he used to make costumes for Halloween costume competitions or sci-fi conventions. And, um, you know, he would, uh, you know, use uh, different personas online, you know, like made-up characters and things like that. And, you know, by themselves, it doesn't really mean anything. But one thing that really struck me interviewing them is they kept saying how Mark Twitchell just sort of took it just that one extra step than they did. You know, if they were pretending to be Jedi Knights, 
um, you know, it was just, you know, all in good fun for his friends. But for him, uh, it seemed like it, it meant so much more to him that it was it was more than just make-believe. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something about this case is that as he discovered this Dexter TV show, you know, this make-believe wasn't, wasn't enough anymore. So did you actually, in, in your research and putting the book together, get the opportunity to speak directly to Mark Twitchell? I did, yes. Um, uh, he was actually very um, insightful, and uh, I interviewed him extensively. And it uh, all started with a phone call from him. He, um, you know, I've been working on the book for a number of months and had pretty much talked to anyone who knew him. And, uh, you know, I got a phone call out of the blue, which he just had called me from prison and uh, started chatting up about how, uh, you know, if you're going to be writing a book about this, you might as well come straight to the source. And, um, you know, he was a bit hesitant, wanted to know what my, I guess, intentions were with the book. Um, but, you know, we talked, I met him in prison, and uh, we started corresponding, and it was uh, primarily through letters. I think um, he's always seen himself as a writer first, and then sort of from writing, he then makes scripts, and filmmaking comes second. And I think through that, he saw a bit of a connection with me being a writer as well. I would send him questions um, in the mail, and then he'd sort of sit there, and he'd, he'd write me pages back. Uh, in response to my questions. And that's where a lot of the correspondence that I got from Mark Twitchell came from. And was he really forthcoming with details, or did it take, you know, an, uh, a certain amount of time for you to sort of gain his trust? Yeah, it's, I guess it depended what I asked. I mean, some some questions he was very open and forthcoming to talk about. Um, other things, um, he certainly let me knew he thought it was a stupid question. I remember one I asked about, you know, a typical easy soft call question is, you know, tell me about your childhood. And so his response back was, uh, well, if you want to bore your readers to death, uh, you know, uh, I'll devote pages to my childhood, <laughs> you know, but if you actually want an interesting book, why don't we talk about something else? So, uh, you know, he definitely had a sense of humor, um, you know, oddly about the whole thing. Um, and certain details he did not want to open up about, um, specifically, um, you know, to deal with the, the court matters. Um, he didn't talk about some of those things with me until after um, all the court proceedings had completed. And then even then, um, you know, there's some parts of the case that he just won't, um, you know, he'll kind of dodge the questions. So, yeah, it was sort of a mixed bag is that I was kind of overwhelmed with some parts of his life I knew, extensive amounts, um, you know, way more than I could even put in the book. And then other parts he, he wouldn't open up about. And how, how did you go about sort of distilling it into... Uh, the narrative that you wound up publishing, did you find the editing process to be difficult? Did you leave pieces that uh, out of the book that you, you know, wished you could have included? Yeah, you know, I, I remember starting this, I mean, this is my first book, and I thought, you know, oh my God, how am I going to fill a book, you know, 350-some pages? Uh, you know, that's just a daunting task when you haven't done it before. But I, I actually found I had way more material than um, I could fit in uh, in the book, and there's a lot that I didn't include. Um, and I guess uh, because it's nonfiction and I don't make anything up, um, you know, as a journalist, there's a lot of material that I couldn't include because, uh, you know, I couldn't get, say, uh, a second source to confirm certain things. Um, you know, Mark Twitchell was uh, an admitted liar at his uh, 
trial and many of his friends told me that you know that's the one thing they did notice about him is that he told lies all the time he was always just uh, he's a you know pathological liar so i had to take a lot of the stuff that i got from uh, mark twitchell sort of with a big grain of salt and therefore if he told me something i didn't want to use it in the book unless i could for confirm you know did this event actually occur you know the person he's talking about are they real do they recall these events as well um, so that was through that process, I was able to weed out a lot, um, you know, just because it wasn't trustworthy material. And then I, I guess the rest was because I'm kind of creating the narrative of everything that happened from, you know, the, the detectives and from Mark Twitchell's perspective and from uh, his victim's perspective. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you have just the, the story is there and it's not bombarded by facts, right? That can really make a book boring. And you start writing a historical um, history book as opposed to a narrative nonfiction if you're just kind of bombarding every chapter with all the information, you know. So it was sort of a really slow process of um, kind of whittling down and picking away at everything until you're left with the, the final manuscript. And in your discussions with Mark Twitchell, um, what, what was he like? Did, was he was he sinister when he was talking about his, his what what he did or, you know... I guess I guess what I really am asking is having these conversations with a convicted uh, murderer. W what was that like? Wasn't it? Was it bizarre? Not to load the uh, question. It, 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 it was pretty pretty bizarre, um, you know. And it, it was more so bizarre because I mean he wasn't anything that I was expecting. Um, you know, I was expecting this uh, big sinister character, and you know, I met someone like Mark Zuckerberg. You know, when I when I walked in there, I mean, he's you know, a very smart, you know, kind of nerdy guy. Um, he had a good sense of humor. Um, he, was, he was pretty charismatic as well. You know, he had me laughing at times. But I think, you know, in the context of how I was meeting him and interviewing him, that, I think that's what made it a bit chilling is, you know, okay, well, wait a minute, this guy's in prison. You know, he's on trial for first-degree murder, and then he was convicted of it. You know, and he still has a sense of humor about things. It's, um, you know, he definitely had a disconnect with, with sort of the reality of the situation, mm -hmm. um, but but I think yeah he was he's he's a very fascinating um, character I think because there's an element where there's there's an element of performance and there's an element of the real him and I think where that where that line is um, it's sort of blended and no one really knows and I think that came through a lot when he was awaiting trial um, I remember hearing stories from when he was in the remand center. Um, other, you know, uh, inmates were scared of him. I mean, these are like gangbangers and like, you know, repeat offenders, you know, big drug dealers, uh, you know, killers, things like that. And they, they were scared of him. And he found that hilarious because he's like, you know, why are they scared of me? You know, I'm just this, I'm just Mark Twitchell. I'm this filmmaker. I'm this, you know, just geeky guy, you know, but it's like, well, of course they would be scared of you because of what you're, you were charged with. I mean, it's, you know, a horrific, gruesome crime, you know, picking on totally random, innocent victims, you know, so that's sort of, that's sort of odd that, you know, he, he didn't understand why they would look at him differently, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But, you know, and he sort of, sort of played that up uh, while he was in, in prison. Uh, you know, he, because he saw that people were scared of him, he kind of then built up that persona. So he used to kind of walk around and kind of try to scare people and, other inmates were even, I reveal in the book, how uh, they w weren't even willing to share his cell with him because um, they, were, they were so terrified of him, right? And they had kind of, um, 
he had built this up with other inmates as well that you know oh, you should he's like a Hannibal Lecter you got to stay away from that guy you know he'll get you um, you know and so there was a you know a little bit of like truth in that because of how the seriousness of what he was charged with and then also a performance on top of uh, I guess the crimes that he did commit yeah. wow sounds like a very unusual man now uh, has Mark Twitchell read the book now that it's been published. I, that I don't know. I haven't uh, had any contact with him since the book was uh, published. Um, you know, and I I do wonder if he'll um, get access to that while he's um, incarcerated. Um, you know, I do have um, some contacts I was asking who are uh, you know criminologists, and uh, you know they're pointing out to me that well you know on one side they may let him read it uh, now because if he flies off the handle and sees sees the book, doesn't like it, at least he's kind of in a controlled environment. Yeah. But at the, uh, the other hand, they may not want him to read it because it's, uh, you know, you know, maybe it isn't good for someone's rehabilitation to read a book about, you know, your own uh, evil exploits. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I'm, I will, we'll see if he writes me a letter, but I certainly haven't uh, uh, gotten anything from him yet. Fair enough. And, and what is next for you, Steve? You're you you were in Canada for a little while. You're back in Australia, which is where you're living right now. Yeah. Uh, what are you planning to do next? Well, I, I'd love to write another book. Um, you know, this was a, a very uh, fascinating journey. I don't think I'd, I'd ever write anything this this uh, dark before, or anything as <laughs> true crimey as, as this story is. But um, definitely, I, I love the process uh, turning, I guess, journalism into storytelling. And uh, you know, really getting to the heart of of stories and and writing about the people. I mean, a lot of this book was sort of the the day by day, uh, you know, exploits and sort of inside the the cop room and the detectives and inside the mind of uh, the killer and and inside the perspectives of the victims. And um, I really enjoyed that process. So yeah, I'm sort of looking around and and thinking of uh, the next project. Well, good luck with uh, with your budding uh, authorial career, Steve. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for agreeing to be on the show. Adam is ordering another drink. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm He's so tr- parched. He's trying to do it very subtly so you don't hear it, but I'm just going to draw attention to it. I ordered another beer, everybody, and I'm not ashamed of it. Nor should you be. No, because we're in a bar. We're in a pub. And you should be drinking peach beer in a bar. Yeah, and, and, and it's springtime in Edmonton, and what better what better time to enjoy a refreshing beer? That's right. I refreshing tin whistle peaches and creams beer. That was kind of a plug for a company that <laughs> is not giving us money. No, we do that a lot. And we, because we've job, done guys. that for the next act, yeah, actually. Yeah, you have. You have plugged times. us. That's right. Well, it's because we love you, and, well, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Now, you said you're a food-first bar or pub, right. but really, I mean, you guys bring in some pretty premium stuff, I would say, and you do cask nights as well. Now, tell us a little bit about those. Oh, What's yeah, involved? it's one of our favorite events uh, in a month. So every, um, the first Tuesday of every month, Alley Cat makes us a special cask of beer, um, and they it's a one-off. So we tap it at 6 o'clock, just enough time for everyone to get here after work, usually. And um, we tap it, we go through it, it's $4 for a glass of beer to test it out and see how you like it, and we um, sell it out as fast as we can. The fastest one was 16 minutes. 
What? Yeah. Were you wow. serving? <laughs> uh, I don't even remember. It was two months ago, and I don't remember what it was, but I think it was our full moon, like the, a hoppier version of the full moon, which is a very popular beer here. I do quite enjoy the full moon. I could be totally making that up. I'm okay with that. Fair enough. Uh, and how do you pick the kinds of beers? Are you, they are, pick for us. Okay. But oh, for the cast night. Uh, well, as far as like vendors go. We taste them. Okay. <laughs> we do a lot of beer tasting. <laughs> I'm sure that's the worst part of the it's job. It's horrible. Yeah. Especially, well, for myself, I'm not a huge beer drinker. And oh, to really? do the, the Porter Stout Christmas one last year, I was like, this is awful. No, it was great. She, she should actually say that she was not... A big beer drink. I wasn't allowed to um, have any say because I had nothing good to say about any of them, and they are all really great beers. But <laughs> now, what about? Uh, I know there's a there's a movement towards the local. Yep. Um, is is that something that you guys have sort of picked up on as well? Um, we tried to stay away from, excuse me, as much uh, like Molson Labatt's type of products, like big macro brews. But um, at the same time, we also recognize that some people like it. But so what we've gone with, um, which is a bit more of a popular beer, is like the Steam Whistle. So uh, it's still quite similar to, I mean, a lighter lager type of beer, even though it's a Pilsner. But it's still, I mean, has wide appeal and a lot of people like it. But for us, Steam Whistle is a, a great seller and we're And you said you didn't know anything about beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a lighter lager, even though it's a pilsner. But it would, kind of would be appeal to the lighter lager type. I yeah. see. I, I do know. I can sell snow to an Eskimo. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, and yet I could sell you the best steak you've ever had. So do you do you actually? Are you a vegetarian that eats fish? Uh, up until yesterday, no, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I'd never eaten fish, but we have this Cajun uh, halibut fish sandwich right now, and I tried it, and I was pretty blown away. So you are therefore now a piscatarian? Uh, yesterday I was. I don't think I will be anymore. Okay. Now, this is and this is part of the cameo burgers that you do. So staying, right. staying true to the name, the next act, which involves uh, burgers named. Oh, yeah. The director, the producer, the writer, which both the producer and the writer are gone, by the way. But we, <laughs> we have the drama queen. I feel like that's Scott's burger. There, there might be secret menu items that certain regulars have been known to occasionally that's get, right. even though they're the not class on the act. menu. So we have a bunch of burger names, and then we have a feature beer called the Cameo, which we rotate once a week. And, oh, okay. And so the Cameo every changes week. every week That's because right. it is a making cameo. a Cameo. Yeah. So every so by the time most of our listeners hear this, the uh, Cajun Halibut Burger will be gone. That's right. I will have eaten it, and I will tell you about it on our <laughs> website because I know for a fact that the next act knows what to do with halibut. You guys do good things with halibut. Yeah, it's a pricey little fish, but we like it. Yeah, it's like steak. It's like fish steak. <laughs> it's the steak of fish. Is that what you're going with? I'm going with that. Okay. I'm I'm here and we're going with it's that. It's the steak of the sea. Is that what they call it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think that's they what we can. call it. The steak of the sea. I think that's swordfish, actually. <laughs> well, next time they'll do a swordfish burger. Or maybe like yellowfin tuna. Now you're just making stuff up. No, yellowfin tuna is a thing. They're huge. No, I know that's a thing. <laughs> in sushi. Isn't it a thing with sushi? You'd always have yellowfin yeah. tuna for and sushi. And it's delicious. It's like butter. It melts in your mouth. See, I'm a non-pescatarian, and yet I know about fish, too. You're good at faking Just like it. she's not a beer drinker who knows a lot about beer. Yeah. Yeah. And who used to work at a furniture store. Yeah. I know. I'm really just jack of all trades here. So tell me about leaving, agreeing to work with these guys who are great. Leaving Urban Barn, was that difficult? And for two, the two reasons I'm asking are, was it like, oh, my God, in your brain, you're just thinking, should I actually be doing this? At the same time, wondering if you're leaving a good thing. No. 
I was ready to go. You were done. They were very, very good to me. The company was great. I loved working for them, but I had done um, a long enough term with them. And uh, the company was changing quite a bit and um, say, making some really great changes and maybe not so many great changes that I wasn't such a fan of. And I figured it was the best time for both of us if I were to go away. It was either that or they were probably going to can me anyways. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I'm totally I joking. No, it's fine. Sometimes you just need a change. Sometimes you need to get fired. January 1st, 2010, I said, I, I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life. I've, I've been doing this. I had a really, really hard last part of 2009 with my last job. And I said, okay, I've got to figure this out in three months. March 31st, I got to know what I'm doing. I gave my notice March 28th, not knowing whether we'd have the pub or not, but I knew because we had gone to Mexico and agreed that we would all quit our jobs. That is so crazy and awesome. And then by July 27th, we had this place in our hands. Did you have a safety net in case this place fell through? No, nothing. Wow, like, they went even, in head first. It didn't even cross my mind that it wouldn't work just because I had A, so much faith in Mike and Nathan, but B, because I just believed in the the product that we were going to put out and the location. I think um, we were just really excited. It's not, it wasn't too big of a place to feel overwhelmed by. It wasn't too small. I mean, even though I don't come from restaurant at the same time, I have worked at Joey's um, before. So I have dabbled in serving a little bit, not very well. I almost got fired there too. <laughs> Mike will tell you he almost fired me. Uh, Mike almost fired you <laughs> yeah. and yet he would go in on a venture like he this did, with yeah. you. And uh, yeah, we like if you look around the space, it's a small, it's a easy to manage room. We and if it was me by myself, I'm sure I would have not lasted four months. Are there any uh, challenges? I remember us once having a conversation about how the kitchen is a little too small. It's tiny, yeah. yeah. Especially you know when we first took over, we were running with maybe three staff at a time back there on a Friday or Saturday, and now um, we've just grown so much that we have about five. So it's a really tight on a Friday or Saturday. There's about five staff back there. During crossover between dinner time, like as the day people are leaving and the um, night people are coming on, it's like sometimes there's six, seven bodies crammed back there. And yeah, it's not, not very large. But we did just invest in all new kitchen equipment, so we feel quite excited. I think they're pretty happy to be back there now. Now, at the end of the day, the big question that I have on my mind, which I think I know the answer to, so it's kind of a softball, is all the concerns about acceptance from the community and changing and whatever, at the, at, you know, the final analysis, how is that all received? Um, I would have to say we couldn't have paid for better customers. We bought a business not knowing the type of clientele we were going to have, and I wouldn't have bought any other business, any other customers now that I know how great the community, the regular customers are. Like We see the same faces as of you guys and uh, many <laughs> others as I look around the room now on a very, very regular basis, and I think that's one of the most incredible parts of owning this business is how wonderful and how well-received and just how complimentary and kind all of our customers are. What about the rest of the uh, of the uh, the food and beverage community in Edmonton? Is it is it a pretty supportive environment, or is it is it uh, acrimonious? Uh, I think it's really good. I mean, I'm so happy to talk about other businesses that I think are doing well, and I I recommend to other people in our customer base. I'll have somebody new sitting at the bar who's in town, and I'll give them eight different places that I think are fantastic that I think you should go try. Elm. Three yes, Boars. Yes. Have you guys been there yet? I Three was boars? there uh, a couple of nights ago and couldn't get in because it was so busy. And yeah, it's just, it's such a great night out. Like yeah. you'll really enjoy it. And I mean, that's one thing I really, really love about this community is how complimentary and friendly and how much you sort of pay it forward with each other. 
you were going to say something. I was going to say that I don't get a chance to get out very often. So, Ladies and gentlemen, we need to get Scott out more often. <laughs> We'd like your suggestions. The show at theunknownstudio.ca. How to get Scott out more often. Let's set up date night for Scott and Anita. <laughs> yeah. Your suggestions. <laughs> it could be dinner in a movie. It could be dinner in something else. But dinner needs to be involved. Because Scott will need his energy. <laughs> I believe. I believe you will. <laughs> you know, because we've got this crazy background noise going on, we can't just slice and dice things as we normally would. No, this is pretty much going unedited. And that means that we should thank our sponsor. We should. We should take time. a moment to thank our sponsor. So just bear with us, Sage, yeah. while, we, uh, while we thank. Now, I went and saw The Avengers on uh, Friday. And this uh, is this is Friday, our Friday, the opening Friday That's for the right. Avengers. Okay. Uh, in the afternoon, I went with a uh, friend of the show, Scott Lilwall, who has been on the show several times. And uh, the Avengers was a great movie, but I'm actually using the Avengers to build up to the fact that who should waltz in with his entire school in tow, but the Dumbledore of digital arts of Edmonton, Owen Brierley, the headmaster of of. With, with practically his entire school in tow so to see the Avengers. That is the kind of excursions, the kind of field trips that you could look forward to. If you went to school at Guru Digital Arts College? That is correct. Those or if people you work at the next act, you, we'll take you to the Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, field trips all around. They're fun no matter where you are. That's She's hijacking our sponsor. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's fine. What we're trying to say is that if you love professional film in a special effectsy kind of way you should eat at the next deck and you should learn at guru digital well, arts, arts college, college. that's that is right. correct so uh check them out guru digital arts.com and uh sign up for their july intake which i think they're doing right up until the end of june yeah that's how we roll i'm gonna take an artful sip of my beer now <laughs> Uh, having just done our sponsor, we should uh, move on, I suppose, to our next major segment, which is, of course, Adam's favorite part of the show. We call it the Fast 15. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. So, because you've listened to every single one of our episodes that we've aired over the last three years, Everyone. I know you have. I know you have. Uh, you, you're probably familiar with the Fast 15, but for our listeners who are not, I'll tell you this. The Fast 15 involves 13 run-of-the-mill questions we ask of all our guests with two wildcard questions at the end just to fuck with you a little. So here we go. The Fast 15 with Salish Haas. Number one, your favorite food. Food? Yeah. Pasta. Your favorite color? Green. Yeah, that makes sense. I have green eyes. I know, but I'm also <laughs> looking around the pub. And that's There's a lot why, of green in here. That's why you didn't change the furniture, because you were okay with it. That's you right. you love green. Uh, Mac, PC, or Linux? Mac. Really? Dogs or I've cats? I've seen her in here with her Mac laptop before. Working, I'm yes. sure. Oh, always. Not Facebook. Not at all playing Minecraft. Or Really? No. <laughs> no. Definitely Facebook. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, dogs or cats? I have both. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Naturally. Uh, favorite holiday? Hot. 
<laughs> I think that's the first time anyone's ever answered that question. And that it way. is an acceptable answer. That's a great answer. Your favorite sport? Favorite sport? Sport. Uh, sitting on the couch. Does that count? That is a sport. Ladies and gentlemen, judges, yes. Yes. Ding. It's a judge sport. Uh, your favorite pastime, which can't be the same as your sport. <laughs> favorite pastime, dancing. Really? Classically trained, of course. No, not no. even completely run-of-the-mill, random, horribly, out-of-tune dancing. Awesome. We'll watch for that in the near future. <laughs> After many beers, of course. Or not beers. If you don't drink beers. Yeah, that's right. Uh, favorite music right now? Uh, well, we just heard Diamond Rings, who I'm quite a fan of. That was that song just now. Um, I think I'm over my word limit. That's fine. Oh. So you guys you guys play your own stuff? We do, yeah. There's no satellite music or anything like that? No. no they they plug in their iPod and away they go. That's great. Uh, favorite movie right now? You guys show a lot of movies, actually, I have to say. Uh, I have two. And it's not right now, it's always Royal Tenenbaums and Best in Show. Oh, my God. Both excellent movies. A woman after my own heart, <laughs> I'm not afraid to say. Uh, favorite video game? No. No? That's fair. <laughs> if you could have one superpower. Does Tetris count? Yes, it does. Fine, I'll Tetris, take it. Tetris it is. There you go. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Well, it wouldn't be to be an invisible truck. <laughs> yeah, I think I kind of screwed that Wonder one. Woman has an invisible plane. Just saying. I think I would fly. Yeah. Power of flight. There I'm you fear go. fear completely terrified of heights, but I think I could conquer it. Well, I think you, you wouldn't have to be afraid of heights if you had the power to fly. Right, because you wouldn't be worried about falling. Yeah, because you would just fly. I think we've solved one of your phobias. <laughs> mustard is also a phobia. That you, you have a phobia of mustard? <laughs> yes. I don't think there's a superpower. And eyeballs. That's no. Yep. I'm going to have to think about this. Okay. Okay. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Neither. Okay. I've never seen either. No, I, I warned her I that question was coming. Friends, didn't I? I, both I warned her that question was coming like two weeks ago, so she had plenty of time <laughs> to watch Star Wars and Star Trek and determine which one I she liked better. I am completely content never watching either. I both love and hate this woman right now. <laughs> I, I knew I just lost <laughs> some friends here. No, no. No, it's okay. We do, we'll talk about other things. Okay. Uh, now we're on to our two wild card questions. Okay. Out, of, me. out of all the cameo burgers this place has ever made, what's your favorite? Probably the Nacho Libre. Because you made it or because it that and it's good? I said to Scott the other day because I think it's an actually incredibly m flavorful sandwich. It is. Having had it, a, lot of a taste. very flavorful I love sandwich. nachos. I Scott also loves nachos. Okay. It's true. So you love nachos. I love nachos so much. <laughs> so then you go and put all of that in a burger, and you get the nacho libre. So um, special request. you got to bring it back sometime this summer. Or make it one of the things you serve out of the truck. Yeah, we probably could. Oh, my God. We'll <laughs> rotate it, right? I love Edmonton so That's much. That's the best part about having a truck. You can do anything you want. It's brilliant. And now our final wild card questions. What's one of the best trends in Edmonton food or restaurants? Best trends. Besides food trucks, which is kind of a new trend. And wrapping stuff in bacon. You know, I really, really value the new businesses that are opening that are taking a risk on things that are slightly different but not too weird. I'm not into that uber weird, I don't recognize a word on this menu. Yeah. That kind of thing. It's too intimidating. I don't like it. But I really, really value good food done well 
whether that be Corso 32, even though I don't speak a stitch of Italian and I don't understand it, I think it's an incredible oh. type of menu and food and quality. And that's what you're seeing, I think, a lot more lately is just the quality of ingredients and product that's coming to the tables now. Edmonton is undergoing a food renaissance, my friends. It is. And you can get on board or you can fucking starve. <laughs> you can go to McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Suck that. <laughs> Salish, it's been a wonderful pleasure to have you on Thanks the show. Thanks so much. You guys are great. Thank you for letting us record the show in your restaurant. You're most welcome and we'll see you on Thursday. Oh, I'm sure you will. <laughs> Except <laughs> this Thursday there's something. No, that's Friday. Yes. The guru thing. Yeah. Okay, we should stop recording now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 68. Our guest, Salish Haas, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. I have a bit of a headache today. You guys going to talk about that? <laughs> we might. Did Let's you have a little it. too much to drink for Cinco de Mayo? Uh, you could say it was for Cinco de Mayo, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> I did have some tequila in celebration. but so There you go. Yeah.